Bill Tracy with us. He preached and planted a church in Southern California, supported by this church, several years ago. And um, uh, that's kind of where I got to know him, because when I moved here, I, uh, he was out there and I was here working with the missions committee and we interacted several times in that, that time period. He has now settled back in Lubbock, as many of you know, but for those of you who don't know him, settled back in Lubbock. And he now works for the Sunset Church of Christ as their adult education minister, of which he does four or five or six different things, as adult education ministers are wont to do. I just want you to know. <laughs> Tonight, hey, married to Betty, three beautiful children, and how many grandchildren? One beautiful grandchild. He didn't bring a ch- picture of that grandchild. I don't know why. He had, does have pictures. If you'll come up close to him, he'll show them to you. Tonight, we are challenged. Uh, we moved on from Magnify last week to ministry this week. And we're going to focus on ministry for the next, this week and the next three weeks, just as we focused for four weeks on the concept of message. So this week, we're looking at Jerusalem again, though. But this time, in the time of the prophets, ministry, we press on. Bill? Which button? Top one goes awesome. Okay, let's try that again. Good evening. Good evening. Man, it is so good to be back in San Antonio. It's so good. I, last time I... Listen, I, I want you to know some of you are getting really old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to mention names. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at certain people. <laughs> uh, no, if you don't know, I was the youth minister here back when I was like 40 pounds lighter and had brown hair, all right? That lets you know how old I am. Now, I want you to know that Norris Elam really has a way of sort of, and elders have a way of doing this, right? Sort of putting you in your place. Norris, I, I rarely post on Facebook, but I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to do this because I'm getting to go back to Mac. I'm just so excited. And so I was like... Hey, I'm going to go back to Mac. I'm going to speak. And Norris put, posted on mine. He goes, ah, a former member of the singles and now a grandpa. All right. So that lets you know the span there is this. All right. And, and I, was, I was talking to Nancy over here. And let me just tell you this. If I would have known how cool grandkids were, I would have skipped that parenting thing and went right to them. Right. Isn't that right? Okay. Hey, it's so good to be here. It's good to be with you. And what a privilege, what an honor for me uh, just to be here with you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah and just mark Jeremiah chapter 1. Because we're going to be going all over Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah. And I want you to, I'm going to let you know right now, I want you to hang on with me, all right? Okay, because about halfway through this, you're going to go, and we invited him here. All right? That's how bad it's going to get, Okay. Okay, so I'm hoping by the end, at the end, we're going to go like this. But for right now, you're going to have to hang on with me for a little bit as we look at Jeremiah in Jerusalem, specifically, specifically Jer- uh, Jerusalem in the time of Jeremiah. I don't know about you, but um, let me see if I got this right. No, the wrong one. I want you to know that I honestly, I try to be very optimistic. I try and be positive. I try and... You know, we have little sayings, don't we? If life gives you lemons, thank you. And the and the glass or the cup is not half empty; it is 
Okay, you guys are optimists too, all right? Awesome. So I'm in a room full of optimists, but I want to let you know something. I know in the crowd, I know, I know in the crowd, and I'm not going to shame you tonight, but I know in the crowd we have Eeyores. Yeah, okay, and it's okay to be an Eeyore, you know, God made Eeyores, it's okay, all right? But here's the thing about it is, is that we tolerate Eeyores, it just lets us know that we never want to be an Eeyore, all right? But I want to let you know that if you were an optimist, and you lived in the time of Jeremiah, let me just tell you something right now, you would hate Jeremiah, If Jeremiah came to church on Sunday, this coming Sunday, if Jeremiah came to church, all right, he'd walk into the uh, uh, foyer, family, whatever you guys call that there, all right? The place with the doors that get in the building, all right? If he walked in and you said hello to Jeremiah, and you said, hi, Jeremiah, how are you today? He'd go, you're all going to (laughs) die. Honey, don't poke Mr. Jeremiah. He's a little cranky. Jeremiah would be the guy who would be sitting by himself because here's the thing. Jeremiah was giving Israel a picture of what was going to happen to them in Jerusalem. And they really, frankly, did not want to hear it. Here's what Jerusalem was happening. It's sort of the historical setting, what was going on. If you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4. All right. In Jeremiah 7, 4, here was sort of the saying that was going on. The saying set went something like this. The people were saying is this, we are completely safe, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we are completely safe. Why are you completely safe, Jerusalem? You're safe because of this. You are safe because we have the temple of the Lord. We have the temple of the Lord. We have the temple of the Lord. You see, we are God's people. And we have the temple and nothing's going to happen to us, Jeremiah. Nothing is going to happen to us. And you could be negative, you could be an Eeyore all you want, but I want to let you know something. Nothing's going to happen to us because we have the temple. Look over there, Jeremiah. There's the temple. We have the temple. What is the problem with your message? But you see, Jeremiah saw history from a little bit different perspective. He saw Jerusalem from a little bit different perspective. And he saw it from God's perspective. See, here's what's wrong with the people of Israel. The people of Israel trusted in the structure of God, but they didn't trust the God of the temple. And that was the problem. And so Jeremiah is going to enlighten them. And he's going to let them say, he's going to say to them, I want to let you know something. You people here in Jerusalem, I'm going to redefine history for you. And so when he comes onto the scene and he says this, I want to let you know something. If you look up north, there's this big old cauldron sitting there. And all of a sudden this thing is going to spill over and it's going to spill over into Jerusalem. And he's referring to the Babylonians and he says, I want to let you know something. Babylon's going to come and they are not going to show any mercy. They're going to be cruel to you. Well, how cruel are they going to be? I want you to turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17. In one verse, in one verse he says in Jeremiah chapter 4, he says, A lion's been let out of the cage. 
A lion has been let out of the cage and it's coming for you. But in Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, notice what he says there. He says this, therefore, this is what... The Lord Almighty says, because the people because the people have spoken these words, I will make my words in your mouth a fire, Jeremiah. And these people, the wood it consumes. Now watch this. O house of Israel, declares the Lord, I'm bringing a distant nation against you, an ancient and enduring nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you can't do not understand. Their quivers are like an open grave, and all of them are mighty warriors. They will devour your harvest and food. They will devour your sons and daughters. They will devour your flocks and herds. They will devour your vines and fig trees. With the sword, they will destroy your fortified cities in which you trust. I want to let you know, and Jeremiah saying, I want to let you know something. I'm about ready to unleash on you an enemy that you've never, ever seen before. And I want to let you know from top to bottom, they're going to completely destroy you. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. So what will Jerusalem really look like? Go to Jeremiah chapter 9. And I want to let you know that we're going to read, honestly, we're going to read some disturbing verses tonight. And like I said, hang on with me, all right? Hang on. We will be grinning at the end, but we've got to frown for a little bit, all right? Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, in this really graphic imagery, it says this. Death came climbing in your window. Death came climbing in your window, and he has entered your fortress, and he's cut off your children from the streets, for the young men from the squares. Say, this is what the Lord declares. The dead bodies of men will lie like refuse in the open field, like cut grain behind the reaper, with no one to gather them. Let me tell you what Jerusalem is going to look like after the Babylonians get done. There will be bodies stacked everywhere. Everywhere. Had bad will again. Another ver- another thing says this in Jeremiah chapter eight and verse twenty. The harvest is past, the fruit's been gathered, and still we're not saved. There's no hope. There is no hope. And I gotta let you know for people like us who are optimistic, for people who want to win, this is a hard message. But Jeremiah is saying to Jerusalem, I want to let you know something. Bodies are going to be stacked everywhere. And you thought that there was a time when you could be saved, but the time is past. And one of the most awful verses in the Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 19, 7 through 9. And I want you to listen to this, and you listen to this, especially if you have children. 19.7, in this place I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I will make them fall the sword before their enemies at the hands of those who seek their lives. I will give their carcasses as food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. I will devastate this city, which city? Jerusalem. I will devastate the city and make it an object of scorn. And all who pass will be appalled and scoff because of its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh. Of their sons and their daughters. And 
And they will eat one another's flesh during the stress of the siege imposed on them by the enemies who seek their lives. How bad is Jerusalem going to get? Well, you're going to start eating your sons and your daughters. During the siege of Jerusalem, it's going to get so bad, you're going to look at your children and you're not going to look with them in love. You're going to look at them as your next meal. Jerusalem is going to be bad. And what it does is it makes us really uncomfortable here. Because here's what it does is it shows us the extent of God's wrath and anger. And I've got to let you know something. For a, society, excuse me, for a society that doesn't like to talk about this, this is the real thing. But we don't like to mention this about God. See, God's fluffy. He's a loving God. Yes, He is. He's a caring God. Yes, He is. He, he's all of that and more. He's wrapped in all of that love and all that forgiveness and all that grace and all that mercy. And we're grateful for that, aren't we? Amen. But I want to let you know, there's another side to God. And the other side to God is found. And this is why he and what he does to the people of Israel in a startling verse. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 13. And I intentionally want to do this. I want you to look at these verses. And sorry we're going all around, but it's important for us to put our eyeballs on. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 26 and 27. And here's what he says to Jerusalem. I, Jerusalem, God says, I am going to pull your skirts up over your head so everybody could see your adultery. God did that. What's the extent of God's anger towards Jerusalem here? I am going to do something so obscene to you. I'm going to pull up your skirt over your head and everybody's going to look at your prostitution. Verse 27, your adulteries and lustful names, your shameful prostitution... I have seen that your destitute, uh, detestable acts on the hills and the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long will you be unclean? How long, Jerusalem? Even after I do one of the the worst things in the whole wide world, how long will you remain unclean, Jerusalem? Another one. Turn to Jeremiah chapter twenty-five and verse twenty-seven. In a, in a picture that's hard for us to wrap our mind around when we talk about God. In Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 27, it says this, Then tell them what Jerusalem, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Drink, get drunk, and vomit, and fall to rise no more. Because of the sword I will send among you. Verse 28, but if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink it, tell them this is what the Almighty will do. You must drink it. God, in a sense, with Jerusalem and Israel, the cup of his wrath is going this to Jerusalem. You're going to drink this. 
You're going to drink more, you're going to drink more, and then you're going to vomit, and then you're going to drink more, and you're going to drink more, and you're going to vomit some more, and you're going to pass out, and you will never rise again. How bad is it in Jerusalem? It's bad. It's bad. And then on the one that is hard for us to imagine, go now to Jeremiah chapter uh, chapter, uh, let's see here, 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. Look at this. Alright. We have a little thing that we do all the time. I'm not sure we appreciate it, but I... Like, for instance, have you gone up to somebody and said, How are you doing? Oh, I'm not doing too good. And you were genuinely concerned about how they're doing. I mean, you're asking when you're saying... You know how sometimes we ask how you're doing, we really don't mean how you're doing because we really don't want to know how you're doing. In Christian love, we don't know. We don't really get. But there's sometimes when you go up and you go, "How are you doing?" And you go, and you go, "There, I'm not doing too good." And then you look at them and you go, "And what can I do for you?" And they go, "What's our usual answer here?" Well, nothing. But that, what's the other answer we give? Will you just pray for me? Now, we usually discount that, and that tells us how much we believe in prayer because we go, "And what else do you want me to do?" Well, prayer is probably a pretty big thing. But notice what God says about Jerusalem here. Watch this. Look at 7.16. He goes to Jeremiah and he says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. So, do not pray for this people nor offer any plea petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. How bad is Jerusalem? It's bad. Don't even pray for them. Now watch this. Go to Jeremiah chapter 15. Look at verse 1. This is how bad it is. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were standing before me, my heart would not turn towards these people. Even if the big dogs of the Old Testament were here. How bad is Jerusalem? It's bad. It's bad. It's real bad. Could you imagine somebody looking, God looking at you and going, I want to let you know something. I want you to stop praying for that person. Well, that's the least we do around here. God, God goes, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want you to pray anymore for that person. Because it won't do any good. Jerusalem is bad. So what's wrong with Jerusalem? Let me just tell you what's wrong with Jerusalem. Everything. Alright, listen. Here's the list. I don't have time to go through all of it. But here's the list. Idolatry. And if you really want a sort of a concise chapter to look at what's wrong with Jerusalem, go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 is going to give you all sort of this backgrounded history of what's wrong. Here's what's going wrong with them. Idolatry. And in one of the really interesting, cool phrases in the Bible, it says, They followed worthless idols and they became worthless themselves. You become what you follow. That's the lesson there. Isn't that interesting? Oh, that's a, little, that's a freebie lesson. All right? You become what you follow. 
idolatry, corruption, wickedness, stubbornness, rebellious, spiritual adultery, no devotion to God. They've stopped acting God for their guide for guidance, trusting in their own power and strength, and they've forsaken God. And you're going, why did we invite this guy? (laughs) This is sort of a downer message. And it is. But here's the ray of hope. Have you ever felt that way about society? Have you ever just felt crushed by the ungodliness of it? Have you looked out before and just felt sick? And what in the world can we possibly learn from Jerusalem that would apply anywhere near to us in San Antonio or Lubbock? Where I'm from? What in the world? What in the world can we learn from this, Bill? What is this that we could learn about about Jerusalem ministry in such a horrible, horrible, horrible place that God is eventually going to destroy? What can we learn? What is there about that? And I want to tell you tonight is this. There is power in what I call personal holiness. Now, let me explain this. There's power in personal holiness. There is an element to God here. I want to spend a little time here is this. There is an element to God here. In his... Um, uh, his omniscience and his, his omnipresence and his, his, his incredible power that he's able to look over a city and he's able to look over a city and he's able to look over a nation and he's able to understand and identify and appreciate and honor the faith of people who are personally holy. And he acts upon that. That's the O moment. The own moment is this, that God in his infinite wisdom looks at his cities and he determines the future of a city and a nation based upon the holiness of the people. And you're going, well, duh, Bill, that's what you've been saying. But understand it. We've been looking at it in the negative light. What I want to do is I want to twist it a little bit and understand to look at it in the positive light. And in the midst of where we feel like we're oppressed and we're down and the odds are against us and what can we do? Understand this, that our passionate pursuit of holiness means something to God and not just to God, but it means something to this city and it means something to this nation and it means something to this world. When we pursue God the way we need to pursue God, it has a difference and it makes a difference. And that's the positive message out of Jerusalem in the midst of this horrible, horrible news. That my pursuit of passionate holiness, of personal holiness, means something to God. And it means something to San Antonio. And it means something to the United States. And it means something to this world. Let me prove it to you. Because I would be skeptical if somebody made that statement. But I want to prove it to you. Watch this. Here we go. Little tour. Okay? Genesis chapter 18, Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? 
We all click to the story, right? They go tell Abraham, hey, you're going to have a son next year. Abraham's only 99 years old. Sarah laughs. She's going to get pregnant. They're going to have a son, the son of promise. As they're leaving, the angel of the Lord looks at Abraham and goes, should we tell him what we're about ready to do? I don't know how long that discussion lasted. But they go ahead and they said, Abraham, we're going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and we're going to check that city out to see. And and it's really interesting here, the phraseology that's used in Scripture here. They're going to check out the cry of evil that's coming up to the Lord. Evil has a voice. Isn't that something? And the angels are going to go down there, or the angels are going to go down there and check this out. And Abraham knows that Sodom and Gomorrah is in big trouble, right? And he says, Lord, what if you find 50 righteous there? I'll save it. And you know what happens, right? 50, 45, 40, 30, 20. And finally, Abraham goes, hey, listen, this is the last time I'm going to deal. Listen, honest, honest. This is it. If there's just 10 people down there, will you? And the angel of the Lord says, if there's 10, I will spare the city. Now, here's some really cool things about that is. God knew how many righteous people were in the city. In the midst of the masses. In the midst of all the masses that we see. How big is San Antonio now? Okay, 1.2 to 2 million. We're going to fall within that 800,000. But in the midst of the masses... Sometimes we feel so overwhelmed by that. We feel like there's... Listen, God doesn't know what... I mean, He knows what's going on, but He really doesn't know what's going on. But I want to let you know something tonight. He knows exactly who you are. He knows tonight how many righteous people live in San Antonio. Tonight. Isn't that good news? He knows you. Now go over to Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 1. I think the same thing sort of happened with Jeremiah. We just don't have it recorded in the same way. Jeremiah chapter 5, 1. God tells Jeremiah this. Jeremiah, you go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider and search through the squares. If you could find but one person who deals honestly and seeks truth, I will forgive this city. Jeremiah, I just want you to find one. Just find one. Because one righteous person in the city of wickedness makes a difference. You get where I'm going now? One righteous person in a wicked city makes a difference. And God knows about that. Now, in a really cool one. Go to Revelation. The book of Revelation, we just got through studying this on Sunday morning. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And if you look at 8, verses 3 through 5. In that we have this scene here. Uh, We have the scene of the altar, the throne room of God. And underneath the altar are all these people. They're the saints. And they're saints who have been killed 
persecuted to death. And what they're doing is, as they're crying out to God, they're going, God, how long? How long, Lord? How long before you unleash your wrath on the mighty Rome? How long? And God goes, just wait just a minute, I hear you. And in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, the prayers of the saints mixed up and it's hurled to earth and judgment comes. You know, if you read Ginn's book about, and I haven't read all of that, but I've read a little. If you read Ginn's book about the fall of Rome or do any study about the fall of Rome, it always goes back to something like this, internal corruption and external enemies. Let me just tell you why Rome fell. It fell because of the prayers of the saints underneath the altar. That's why it fell. Now, God may have used internal decay and outside forces, but I want to let you know something. It was the people of God underneath the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? And the Lord says, Now's the time. And He gathers up the censer and He throws it. And by the time we get to Revelation 20 and 21, all of Rome is done with. And it goes back to this. There is power. You are noticed. You're not forgotten in the midst of a city of wickedness. There is power in you living out your daily life for God. There's power in that. There's power in personal holiness. So let me just say this. How could you bless San Antonio? How could you do that? When in the midst... When in the midst, like it seems like the odds are completely against us. When we feel like we're not winning. Right? When we feel like we're not winning. How could we bless a city in which we feel like we're not winning? How could we do that? What do we do, Bill? Bill, how do we, how do we minister How do we minister in the midst of what seems like unbelievable odds against us? And every time we turn or we turn on the news or read the paper or look on on a news, look online, it seems like things are getting worse and worse and worse. Bill, how could we win? What? How could we minister in the midst of wickedness? And I'm here to tell you tonight: your personal holiness and your pursuit of God is enough. And it means something. Now, listen, how you carry that out, whatever ministry you do to do that, to bless a city, hey, guess what? Praise God and get after it. But I want to let you know where it starts. You know where it starts? It starts when every day you pick up the Scripture and you read it. And you listen to God and you, by faith, Begin to trans. You begin to plant in you the word of God, and guess what happens on that day? You're just not studying to study. See, we got to get a, a broader picture of what's going on here. We got to get a broader perspective of what's going on. A lot of times when we we do Bible study, we're really pretty narcissistic about it, and that's okay. But we've got to get a broader perspective. Listen, I study for a lot of different reasons. I want to have faith. I want to go to heaven. I want to, let's start, you know, we can name them all, right? 
I want to be an example. I want to all that. But let me just add one more to it. When you study, you are having an impact on this city and this nation. But nobody's seeing that. Yes, there is. The God who arranges the nations is seeing that, right? The God who controls the world is seeing that. The God out of Isaiah chapter 40 who looks at world leaders and he goes, and they fall. Is seeing that. And when you, when you study and when you implant God's word on your heart, it means something not just to you at that moment. It means something to San Antonio. It means something to this nation. It means something to God. And when you pray, you're just not praying for yourself. Your prayers impact this city. Your prayers impact this nation. That's why we are told to do what? Pray for what? Our leaders. Why? Because our prayers mean something to God. And they have an impact with God. And God hears and He knows. And listen, I want to let you know something. When you stand firm in the Lord, when you go into your job, and there seems like there's so much pressure for you to do the wrong thing, and all of a sudden you take by faith the promises of God, and you make a stand for God, and you stand firm for the Lord, I want to let you know it's more than just standing firm for that job. You're standing firm for San Antonio, and you're standing firm for the United States, and you're standing firm for the whole world. And when you walk in obedience, you know those little steps of obedience? The little things, when you do that... It's just not that you're a good example, which you are. It's not just that. But when you and I walk in obedience, we have a profound impact on San Antonio and Lubbock and the United States and the world. And when you stay moldable so God could use you exactly the way He wants to use you, it's just not for you or your family. It's not. It's for San Antonio. It's for the United States and it's for the world. So, what's the best thing you could do for San Antonio? Here's the part. You ready? This is the greeting part. You know the best thing you could do? Stay strong in the Lord. Serious. Hey, listen. I don't know how. I don't. The odds will probably get worse instead of better for us. Okay, let's just be honest. All right. Okay. But I know this. I know this. We've won. Right. We've won. And the best thing we could do. The best thing we could do for San Antonio, to minister to San Antonio, is this. Stray strong in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Stay strong in the Lord. Hey, listen. If you're here tonight and you're about ready to give up, don't give up. 
You hang in there. It's worth it. You're not just impacting you. You're not just impacting this church. You're, you're impacting San Antonio. And you're impacting the United States. And you're impacting the world. But I don't see that. Who cares if we see it? God sees it. And that's all that counts. Isn't that right? Yeah. That's all that counts. Well, I don't feel that. So, I've been wrong on my feelings, oh, a gazillion times. <laughs> I'm wrong about my feelings all the time. Well, I don't feel that. Oh, I don't care. Hey, stay strong in the Lord. Amen? Stay strong in the Lord. Stay strong in the Lord. Stay strong in the Lord. Let's say it together. Stay strong in the Lord. Again, stay strong in the Lord. You stay strong in the Lord, and whatever you do, you'll be ministering to this church and this city. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Jeremiah is tough, but we're glad it's there. We're glad that you know the righteous. We're glad to know that your eyes look through all the clutter, all the wickedness, all the evil. And you see us. And Father, today, here's what our plea is. And we beg this of you, that you will work in our lives so we could stay strong for you. And we don't know what that looks like, God, but we're asking that we stay strong for you so that we could minister, not just in this church, but we could minister to this city. And use us to that end. And it's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bill.